Well, today when I was uh, getting ready to, to uh, uh, finish this message and get all my thoughts together and get them organized, uh, sometimes I pick a, the title first and then do the message, and other times it goes just the opposite, and, and sometimes it's kind of a mixture of both. But <laughs> anyway, I, uh, I had planned on, on bringing a message entitled, Away from the Manger, Away from the Manger. Uh, but I wasn't sure that that would be as, as clear as what I wanted to be today with this message. Uh, and so I've entitled it, What's in Your Wallet? <laughs> now, that's not original with me, all right? And for the young people, I say, I don't even know what that means. Well, uh, what's in your wallet? You know the commercial. You know the emphasis that is there. I think in a way it makes you take an inventory. Makes you take an inventory. Let me ask you a question. I don't know where you are in your life. I don't know which way you're going. But my question is this. When you get wherever you are going, where are you going to be? When you get where you're going, where are you going to be? If you continue on the route that you've taken with the decisions that you've made and what you've seen already happening on that journey, where are you going to be? Where will you be if you live and where will you be if you die? I think at the end of the year, there's a lot of ways we need to take an inventory. The federal government and the IRS will make you take one. There will be businesses that will do reports for the year. CPAs will be busy. Everybody be looking back and Students will be looking back as the school year moves so rapidly along. But how things gone thus far in the school year? But again, the question is, when you get wherever you're going, where will you be? Because you see, if, if you are on a pathway that is leading you into things are getting worse and worse, maybe you're on the wrong path. And if I'm talking to anybody here, then you've been on a path and you have no earthly idea where you are. Five years ago, you had a five-year plan. Five years is up and you're right where you were five years ago and wondering what in the world happened. So it is important that we take an inventory. And question number two is when you have saved all the money or spend all the money that you have handled or are handling, what are you going to have? Now, those that come to Sagemont, for those of you that are first-time guests, our church takes a very unusual approach to finances. Our church believes, and since 1975, has, has never borrowed one penny to do God's work. God has always had one way of doing it, and that is to bless his people. And those people that he blessed have given as God prospered them. And you'll see no offering plate today. We do not pass the offering plates. We do not beg for money. But we do know it's more blessed to give than it is to receive. We do, we do know, and I am fully aware, 
that most people think, well, all you want is my money. No, that's all that the stores want is your money. That's all that everybody else in this world wants is your money. And I can assure you, if you have not learned how to give, God can get by without your giving anything. He has to this point, and he will continue to do so. But the way he will do it is he will bless those that do give in order that they can give, and, but they receive the blessing, and you don't get in on it. So one of the best things you can ever pick up on is find out what God's up to and get in on it. The best thing you can clue up on is that God's eyes, according to Scripture, go to and fro throughout the whole earth to show himself strong in behalf of people whose heart's perfect towards him. God is looking for people, young and old, that he can pour his wealth through. He even calls his children, his real children, not those that have just joined the church and got baptized, but those that have been born again. The Bible says we are heirs of God and joint heirs with Jesus Christ. We are members of the family. We are adopted in the family. He cannot disown us. We are adopted. He chooses that. But by the same token, when God finds a people whose heart is perfect towards him, the scripture also says he will open the windows of heaven and pour out a blessing that there will not be room enough to receive. But when that happens, the temptation always comes to revert back to how it was before Jesus really took over your life. And you become a taker again instead of a giver. The people that are unhappy at Christmas time are the takers. I don't care whether it's taking or seeing you take their parking place that they wanted to get before you got it or got your place in line. I don't know what it is, but these people are miserable all the time. Every time they see somebody else gets blessed, they get miserable. And the bad thing about it is it's been going on for 30 years and hadn't gotten any better, but they're going to stay the course. But the Lord looks at us from different eyes. Do you keep up with the news? Hope you do. Did you hear what happened this week? Does the name Mark Zuckerberg mean anything to anybody that's here? Well, if you know anything about Facebook, he's the man responsible. If you kept up with the news this week, he and his wife's name have been on the news. His wife's name is Priscilla Chan. And uh, this man made a, made a commitment this week that he was joining with two other people you may have heard of. One of them's name is Bill Gates. And uh, Bill Gates is pretty well known to uh, have quite a bit of money. Well, Mark only has $49 billion. His assets are only $49 billion. If that doesn't make any sense to you, I think that's $49,000 million. But they had a little baby come into their life, a little girl named her Max, M-A-X. Probably unusual, but anyway. Now, this man and his wife have announced that they're going to join with not only Bill Gates, but a man named Warren Buffett. And you may know Warren Buffett. If you've ever eaten a Dairy Queen cone, you know that you have helped Warren Buffett get another billion or whatever. Okay? But now these three men, none of which claim to be born-again, evangelical, mission-minded Christians. That's not a reflection on their character. I'm just telling you, these are not, that's not their deal. 
Their charity is to make the world a better place. So they're giving billions of dollars to make the world a better place. And as he announced that he was going to be giving 99% of his wealth, he and his wife, to make the world a better place for Max to grow up in. I want to quote him. My aim is to advance human potential and promote equality for all children in the next generation. Now, you'll have to kind of ingest that, maybe. To advance human potential and promote equality for all children in the next generation. Have you noticed how everybody wants everybody to be equal? Let me ask you a question. What would sports be like if everybody had to be equal? What if we got a sports game and, and the other team scores first? You can't score again until we get our six, seven points, okay? I mean, would you sit there and pay $150 a ticket to watch that kind of sports? That's basketball game, you know, say, whoop, 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 hold up, whoop, whoop. You've got two-point lead. Stop, stop, stop. Here, take the ball again. I'm going to give you two free throws because we believe in equality. Have, have you ever thought what the world would be like if really we get on this equality, say, everybody be equal. Let's everybody live on the same street, the same price house, eat the same food, do everything. It's just all be alike. You know, the Bible says quite the opposite. It says we're all one of a kind. We're all different. We're not supposed to be equal. We're, we're all heirs of God and joint heirs with Jesus if we're born again believers. But God doesn't want us to be equal. He wants to be who he created us to be. And for, for uh, well, listen to this. This sounds spiritual when I read it to you. Here's what he said. I'm quoting him verbatim. I want to further the mission of advancing human potential and equality. That sounds so good until you look at it. You know what? People give what they have to what they want. Everybody does with whatever they have, whatever they want to do. Now, the problem is that most people do the wrong thing with it. Uh, most, most people, the first thing they do when they get something is give it back to somebody else who wants to get it from everybody else. For instance, if they win the lottery, they go buy a bunch of lottery tickets with it. If they win at the tables in Vegas, they stay at the table till they lose it all again. They, they go around and everything they do, I'm just going to keep spending money, keep spending money. Here's what, what everybody does. They take all their credit cards and they hear somebody say, you need to combine all your credit and put it on one card with the lowest interest rate. And that way you'll save so much. No, they won't. They'll put everything they got on one credit card and maximize the cards another time. So not only do they have it all on their one card, but they have it on the other six again because they can finally borrow again. That's the world, and most people are victims of it. But you know what God says? God says, listen, I got plenty of money. I own the cattle on a thousand hills. I own the hills they graze on. There's not a leaf falls to the ground without my notice. Nothing's too hard for me, and I will take care of my children. But my eyes are looking for a people whose heart's perfect towards me. Now, what was God's heart's like? For God so loved the world, he did what? He gave. Last Wednesday night, I taught, I taught our folks, I said, and we practice, okay? So we can use it on some of you that weren't there to be in on our practice session. But I'll let you in on the secret, okay? 
I said, I want to teach you how to give the Christmas story at your, at your class party or school party, uh, your corporate party, your house party. So you can tell the Christmas story in five seconds before you eat the turkey. Just say, before you lead in prayer, I would like to share the Christmas story. Where they're wanting you to go to Luke chapter 2 and start reading, I say, say, no, I want to do it in five seconds. You ready to learn this so you can catch up with the Wednesday night crowd? For God so loved the world, he gave his only begotten son. We did it in less than five seconds that time. That's a Christmas story, right? Yes, Jesus is the reason for the season. God loved the world so much, he gave his only begotten son. He gave, he gave, he gave. There's nothing like giving. But for us, we refuse to give our time. We refuse to give our talents. We refuse to give ourselves. Many Christians believe that being a Christian means I want to find who's got the key to get into heaven and staying out of hell. That's what I'm looking for. All I want to know that my name is Jimmy and it's written in the book. So where's that prayer? And I'm going to start out, get my name in the book, and then I want to get everything else I can get until I die. You know what? You didn't understand what you were getting into. When you become a Christian, you're no longer your own. You're bought with a price. When you become a Christian, when I become a Christian, I have become a child of God to a heavenly father that all authority is given to in heaven and in earth. It is my job to obey him, to do what he tells me to do, not what everybody else is doing, to give what he tells me to give, not what everybody else is giving, and to walk with him wherever he leads, then I'm to go. Now, if I will do that, the Lord has promised me, I will not withhold any good thing from you. I will be your protector and your provider. I will be your comforter. I will be a friend that sticks closer than a brother. I will make sure that I supply all of your needs according to my riches, not the bank's riches, but my riches in glory through Christ Jesus. Well, let's see what the scripture says about that. Matthew 16, 26 says, what does it profit a man if he gains the whole world and he loses his own soul? Think about that question. Proverbs 10, 22, the blessing of the Lord will make you rich. Luke 6, 38, give and it shall be given unto you. Good measure, pressed down, shaken together, and running over shall men give unto your bosom. For with the same measure that you meet with all, it'll be measured to you again. Let me ask you a question. How would you like for God to give to you as you give to him? If he had the same attitude in giving to you as you have in giving to him, where would you be on the, on the pole, totem pole right now? Think about that. How blessed would you be right now? Listen to Luke 16, verse 10. He that is faithful in that which is least is faithful also in much. And he that is unjust in the least is unjust also in the much. If therefore you've not been faithful with the unrighteous mammon, who's going to commit to your trust the true riches? If you've not been faithful in that which is another man's, then who's going to give you that which is your own? No servant can serve two masters. Either hate the one, love the other, or else he'll hold to the one and despise the other. You can't serve God in mammon. Pretty strong, isn't it? Let me ask you, as an employee, 
Do you look at the company you work for and do everything you can to make sure that they make a profit or do you work and try to get everything you can get while you're the employee? These are hard questions. Do you find yourself being yielded to the things of the world or to the things of God? All through life, man will struggle. Am I going to be a giver or am I going to be a taker? But now, in that passage that I just read, listen to the last sentence. For that which is highly esteemed among men is an abomination in the sight of the Lord. Think about that. What people live for and die for is an abomination to the Lord. God must look down at his children that are just struggling for this and struggling for that and says, what are you doing? Don't you understand that I'm your father? And I will give you the desires of your heart if your desires are to glorify me and you want me to look good through your life and what you do, I will do so. But for so many of us, it's just the opposite. I always like to read biographies, always have and still do, and especially autobiographies. When we read what somebody says about themselves, it uh, usually most people think more highly of themselves than they should probably when they write their own autobiographies. But Jesus wasn't that way. You want to read a little bit about his, his autobiography? Luke 19, 10. Here's what he said. The son of man, that was him, has come to seek and to save that which are lost. He said, I came to find sinners and bring them into the foe. John 10, 10. The thief comes not but to steal and kill and destroy. But listen what he says. I've come that they might have life and that they might have it more abundantly. John 10, 11. I'm the good shepherd. Well, what's a good shepherd? Here's what he says. The good shepherd gives his life for the sheep. John 10, 17. Therefore, my father loves me because I lay down my life that I may take it up again. I could go on and on with these scriptures, but I'm giving you four and there are many more. But here's the point. God's son came and lived and died for others. How are we doing at that? How, how many of us are really concerned more for others than we are for ourselves? How, how many of us really care about what's going on in God's kingdom? Now, if, if you haven't gotten this clear in your mind, let me help you with something. Anybody I'm talking to now that's a born-again Christian, one day you, re you, you realized you were a sinner, nobody had to teach you to be bad, you asked Jesus to come into your heart, you were born again, you became a child of God. If all of that happened to you, now listen to me, if it did, you're on a mission. God does not save you to take you to heaven or you wouldn't be here. You'd already be gone, Okay. God saved you and left you here because he has an itinerary he wants you to follow. And if you will follow that itinerary, he says, I will walk with you. I'll provide your every need, but you're on a mission. Everybody that's a born-again Christian is a missionary or you're not a born-again Christian. If you think Christianity is just a way to get to heaven and I just want to make sure I sure don't want to go to that old bad place. And I just want to make sure. So I, I said that I crossed myself. I said the prayer. I did everything, you know, and I'm just as selfish as I ever was. 
And if you think I'm going to give, matter of fact, I may just get up and leave because I just don't like to hear the church talking about money. Especially my money. Well, it ain't your money. It's his money, right? Yes, sir. It is his money. The undertaker, when he puts you away, will not have a U-Haul trailer to carry your body to the grave for all your stuff. It will all be left behind, okay? Now, listen to me. The Lord takes this. He says, okay, I've got you on a mission. I've got a plan for you. I want you to obey me, and if you'll obey me, man, am I going to bless you. John 17, 18 says, if you have sent me into the world, even so have I also sent you into the world. As God sent the Son, he has sent us into this world. So we need a ministry to believers, and we need a mission to unbelievers. We need to have a customized mission for ourselves and a common mission for us collectively. In other words, God has some plan for my life, and he has some plan for the life of the, of the body of Christ, and, of course, the bride of Christ, which is the church. Every church has its personality. Every church has its purpose and the way that they'll fulfill that purpose. I would want everyone that's visiting here to know and every member of this church to know that Sage My Church has, has put missions as a priority for 50 years. Last year, about 20-some-odd percent of our income went to missions directly, not account just what we're doing right here. It is very important that God's people wisely handle God's money. That's the reason this church got out of debt in 1975. It never spent one penny on interest when most all churches spend far more on interest than they do on their mission programs worldwide. We stopped that in 1975. And we said, whenever you give, whatever you give will allow the mission ministry to reach further than it's ever reached because your money will be used to do things we could not do until God began to flow additional dollars into our church for us to use for that cause. And our books are open. This is not a secret organization where the IRS would have to get to them, no. We take it very, very seriously. But you first got to give yourself. I guarantee you, it, none, of the, none of the stuff on, on, in the Bible about money makes any sense if you're not saved. The way to have is to give, you know, all that kind of stuff. Way up is down. I don't understand that. I don't understand that. I don't either. But I know the one that does understand it, and one day he'll explain it to me. But I do know this. It works. You can't outgive God. You can't outlove God. You can't love God more than he loves you. You can't serve God more than he wants to serve you. You just can't do it. You can't get ahead. Don't wear yourself out. You've taken every vitamin in the world. Those things cost money. Forget that. Listen to the book of Acts, 20th chapter, verse 24. But none of these things move me, neither count I my life dear unto myself, so that I might finish my course with joy and the ministry which I have received from the Lord Jesus to testify the gospel of the grace of God. That's what the apostle said. I don't count my life as anything. God has bought me. I'll live here. Paul said in another place, he said, when I go home, it's going to be far better. But right now, I got a job to do. I'm going to do the best I can. And I'm going to be found faithful. I'm going to fight a good fight. I'm going to finish the course and I'm going to keep the faith. But henceforth, there's a, there's, a, uh, there's a crown of righteousness which the Lord shall give me in that day. 
But not to me only, he said, but to all of those that love his appearing. How sweet it is, folks, when you see that horrible news about what happened to the stock market, what happened to here, what's going on in Europe, what's the price of silver, what's the price of oil. Before you jump out of the window, would you just understand God will take care of you if you will trust him. Maybe we need to simplify our life. Isn't it funny how we like to leave our nice house and go camp and sleep in a tent? You know, flip eggs and let them fall on the ground and all that kind of stuff. Man, I was camping out this week. We were just having a ball. We really, really, really had a good time. No, God will take care of his children. But listen to me. When God calls you, number one, he calls us to salvation. Romans 10, 13. Whoever call upon the name of the Lord will be saved. In John 3, 7, marvel not, I say to you, you must be born again. First call, get saved. Acknowledge you're a sinner. You're lost in sin. And come to the Father through the Son, Jesus Christ. That's what that says. Then he sends us to share the gospel. From the moment of our salvation, we're to go wherever he leads and to follow him. Let me give an example. Everybody that's in this service right now that attended this church 50 years ago when it began, for the first two or three years, there was a young man that was number one drug user in Dobie High School. His name was John Niskavitz. John Niskavitz lived right down the street from this church. This young man had a very difficult time growing up. And when drugs were not anything close to what they are now, John got involved in drugs. And we didn't have a student ministry at our church. We were just getting started. Nobody had any teenagers. We had some babies, but we didn't have any teenagers. But we began to try to reach out. And John Niskavitz came to this church one day. And he felt loved. He didn't understand. He had all kinds of questions, but he felt loved. And he kept coming, kept coming, kept coming. And after many, many months, he gave his heart to Jesus Christ. John Niskavitz, after giving his heart to Jesus Christ, started telling his friends when they'd ask him, boy, you sure have changed. What got into you? Jesus, Jesus, Jesus. Everybody here will tell you the first three years, every time I'd give an invitation, we used to stand here at the front and have an altar call. John Niskavis, we, I didn't care how bad the sermon was. It didn't matter how bad the music was. First note, John would leave his seat wherever he was. He'd come down here, Brother John, and he'd just be crying. I sinned this week. You know, it just kind of became a confession booth down here. He thought he had to tell me about every sin. Because he just wanted to live the perfect life. I mean, he just had such a change took place in his life. But John went on a mission trip with us down to Creasel Springs, Texas. We saw 400 teenagers, uh, 400 kids come to a vacation Bible school, and over 100 of them give their heart to Christ. And John was the strongest thing that was there because John could just talk to them. He knew. I remember walking in one day, and he is laying there and had a tarantula crawling right across his chest right here. I thought, my goodness, you know, I want to go get a shotgun. You know, I thought, that's not a very good idea. But you know what happened? Jesus, that's all. Let me tell you why I'm telling you the story. I talked to John yesterday. John is a very faithful member of the Bay Area First Baptist Church. You know why? Got mad at Sagemont? No. He met the most beautiful woman that you could imagine that loved Jesus with all her heart. She's a children's minister. Cherry Niscavis is a children's minister at Bay Area First Baptist Church. That's who John married. I mean, I mean, you start following God, he'll give you desires of your heart much more than you ever expected. I mean, I don't know how he ever got her, but I talked to him yesterday. <laughs> Let me finish my story. 
At seven o'clock last night, if the plane was on time, their son, Ben, who's been a missionary in Southeast Asia, I can't even tell you where he is because of the danger where he and their four grandchildren have been, flew into Intercontinental Airport, coming back home for a year back here since they left, been gone four years, are coming back. University Baptist Church provided a house for them to stay in. The Amazing Grace class at Sagemont Church has furnished that house, filled their refrigerator, and will be giving them a, a car to use while they're here to move about, okay? Now, listen. That's what churches do, are supposed to do, all right? In front of you, there's an envelope. Amen. Praise the Lord. God bless you bet. You see this envelope that's out here. Let me tell you what this is, where it says Lottie Moon Christmas offering. This is not for the Moonies, okay? Lottie Moon was a four-foot, four-inch little missionary that changed the continent for Christ. We've named the missionary offering after her. Let me, hear, let me tell you something. For 150 years, our churches have been moving in the direction to get the gospel out. We have 140 countries, 5,000 missionaries. That's the good news. Can I give you the bad news? 800 of them have been notified you're going to have to come home because the money's not there. $22 million lacking this year in our mission budget. Why? The church has quit giving to get the gospel out and we just give for humanitarian causes. But folks, if they don't get to Jesus, it doesn't matter what they eat and how they dress and how they live and how healthy their body, we've got to get the gospel out. This couple is doing that. We're able to help. Many of you went last year, and if any of you want to go this year, our church spent $300,000 last year sending our own members out to join with these full-time missionaries to just tell people about Jesus. That's what the gospel is. Giving, giving. What's in your wallet? Say, well, not much. Well, what's in your body? Well, it's not much better. About to wear out. Some can pray. Some can serve and some can give. But ever since God has laid this on my heart, I find money every day now. I only found one dime. All the rest of them have been pennies. I found a brand new one yesterday. All the rest of them looked like Baptists have had on to them a while. They were bent and everything else and holding on. But listen to me. In God we trust, in God we trust, in God we trust. You know what, folks? If God's people, which are called by God's name, will ever humble themselves and pray and see God's face and turn from their wicked ways and start following Jesus, we can change this world. It isn't going to be by might or by power. It's going to be by his spirit. The only thing we've got to understand as we argue about this bunch and that bunch and that political bunch and those people over there and all this kind of stuff, there's only one common denominator, and these three rich man, men are not on the right trail. The only way is Jesus. He's the way, he's the truth, and he's the life. He loves people everywhere, of every background, in every circumstances. Jesus died for everybody. But we must ask, what's in my heart? What's in my wallet? What's in my future? What am I going to do? And the Lord has said, if you'll take up your cross and follow me, I will make you fishers of men. That doesn't mean males. It means mankind. I want to use you at home in Jerusalem or in the state, Judea, Samaria, the nation, or the uttermost part of the earth. There's not a single one of us that are here this morning 
that God does not want to use. He doesn't want us to be his defense attorney. He doesn't want us to be the prosecutor. What he wants us to do is to be the evidence that God changes lives. And one of the absolute indisputable evidences is you become a giver instead of a taker. That whole thing is totally apart. One of the first words your little baby, our grandbaby, our great grandbaby will learn, mine, mine, mine. They'll talk to the dog. They'll be stealing the, the, the dog bone out of the dog bone, telling the dog, mine, mine, mine. That's one thing for a baby, but when you're 60 years old, it's kind of silly. It's here today, and it's gone tomorrow. This is the day the Lord's made. I'm going to rejoice and be glad in it. You want to make somebody happy? If you go out to eat today, call the waitress over and do something a little special for that waiter or waitress. It'll shock them. The worst day, according to waiters and waitresses that I have met, the worst tipping crowd is noon in a restaurant in Houston, Texas, when the church people come and demand everything from the salad dressing. You, I asked for this kind of gravy. I want it white and you gave it brown. I want it rare. You brought it medium. Man, then they hold their hand and they pray. And then they're meaner after they pray when they bring the food and when they order the food. And then we wonder, now God, why don't you bless your little children? We're so sweet. Aren't we cute? No, we're not. We're liars, <laughs> stingy, selfish, unless we're right with God. Amen. Give a word a look and a touch. Take this envelope. I just challenge you, just put it in your pocket. And if you're going to throw it away, hold it for about five hours this afternoon before you throw it away. And then just go over and say, not me. I still got some money left on my MasterCard that I can use at the What's Happening Now store. And I don't have a need of anything other than I just love to maximize my credit cards. No, 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 folks. What's in your wallet? Let me put it this way. What's in your heart? You know what the wallet of a Christian is? Right there. Right there. I'm going to close with this. This is one of the, this week's miracles for me personally. I, uh, I read, when I was working on this message, I read a quote by, by C.S. Lewis, and, and it just knocked me over. I mean, I, it, just, it just really, it, it said just what I wanted to say to you this morning. And I made a mistake. I put it on my desk. Now, you'd have to come see my desk while you would see that is a mistake. Because <laughs> about six hours later, I still had not found that quote. But Mike Woodard, who's probably here right now, and I haven't talked to Mike, out of the blue, sent his pastor an email. I pulled it up. Guess what the email was? Exactly what I'd been looking for all morning. Could I read it to you? And we'll go home. This is another five-minute Christmas story. These are the words of C.S. Lewis, one of the greatest thinkers and believers that ever lived. This is a Christmas story in five seconds. The Son of God became a man 
to enable men to become the sons of God. Think about that. That's not men, males. Human beings. The Son of God, Jesus, became a man, a person, flesh and blood, to enable those of us that are flesh and blood to become the sons of God. For those of you taking notes, I'll say it like he said it. The sons of God, the Son of God became a man to enable men to become the sons of God. Great, great line. Great truth. Great thought. So I want us to go away from here today. If you've never given the Lord your life, he doesn't want another thing you've got. He doesn't need your talent. He doesn't need your money. He doesn't need anything else you have until he can get your soul to live with him forever. Starts here, but it goes forever and ever and ever.